with the expectations of God, like we've been talking about, that we serve a big God that has big things for his people. And, uh, you know, man, I'm just truly believing that God has some special stuff for us as a church. Um, I don't know why, but just here in the last few weeks, God's just really been working on me personally, and I feel like God is just just really laying things out before us to really begin to make our our, our footprint here in De Quincey and be able to, to do ministry and to be able to reach people. And, you know, just so thankful for your support, for those who donated supplies, uh, for those who, who, who helped put together the hygiene packs last week, if you've been praying, if you've been seeking your one, like all these things that are the church in motion. Remember, we said the church is not an organization. The church church is an organism. The church is something that functions, that's something that breathes, that's something that works. And so you guys have been that. And, and I pray this morning as we continue on our study, Who's Your One, that we would see God's faithfulness in the midst of his people and the confidence of having uh, the people having confidence in God and who he is. And so uh, I, want, I want to pray for us real quick and then we'll get going. Okay. Father God, I just pray that you open our hearts and minds to your word this morning. God, block out any distractions that we may face. God, let us lean into what you have for us. And God, allow us to be challenged. Allow us to be convicted. God, allow us to be moved in a way that only you can do. Father God, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning, guys, we're going to continue in our study. Uh, who's your one? And if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one of those blue ones near you that you can use. Um, if you don't own a Bible, you can have that one. That'll be our gift to you. And, um, you know, because I think it's always very important that we're looking at these words ourselves, that we're seeing where they fall in Scripture and in the, you know, where, where that lays out and so we can see the context. And I hope that we, we have desires to go back and see things that are happening around these events that we talk about. And so uh, this morning what we're going to see is we're going to see a show of faith. And God's and, and people show a faith in individuals that just dramatically changes not only their lives but the lives of the people that they impact. And so, uh, you know, the thing about it is, you know, we're doing this who's your one thing and just all the things that we do as a church or whatever. Um, you know, for a lot of us, we love the idea of a mission, right? We love the idea of vision, uh, you know, uh, vision being the plan for accomplishing your mission. And so, like, we, we love those things. We rally around, around those things uh, very often. And, and for us, I know a lot of times, though, is that we tend to be much better uh, at, at, at kind of spectating those things, right? We're, we're always really good at being uh, cheerleaders for certain visions and certain missions that are going on. And, you know, very similar to how we, we cheer for our favorite sports teams, right? We're very good at cheering from the sidelines, cheering from a distance, from the comfort of our living room, the comfort of the seat that we have. Uh, we're very good at that. And uh, we even feel like that we're contributing sometimes, you know, when we're yelling at the screen to, for them to do this, throw it to this person, run this way, and then they do it. And we feel this sense of accomplishment like, yes, they did that because I was yelling at the screen, right? That, that's because of me. Uh, you know, and so we have this, this idea that we love a, a mission. We love a vision. We love to get behind something and to see it uh, brought to a completion or brought to a, a place where it, it accomplishes something. But not as often are we willing to lean into that thing and be invested in it. 
into the greater good of that thing, contributing to how it continues. Because just like uh, a lot of times, you know, when we're looking at a, some type of mission to be accomplished or something to be done, uh, we, we cheer it on. We're really good at cheering it on, but we're very seldom very good at contributing, as we are with our sports teams or these certain things that we rally around and get excited about. And so this morning, what I really hope that we'll see Man, what I really hope that we'll see is God inviting us to be contributors, not just cheerleaders, into his mission and vision of what he's got for us. And this story, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, Luke, the, uh, the book of Luke just has so many great situations like this, and we'll kind of talk about a couple of them, but this particular event is just so wonderful, and it's just been such an encouragement to me on several occasions. And so uh, what we'll see this morning is we're going to see, just like we've been talking about, the way God wants to accomplish His mission and vision is not based on our ability, but His ability through us and just our willingness to lean into that and to see what He has. And so Luke chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 17 and read down to verse 26 together as we see what God's got for us here this morning. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. It says, on one of those days, as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law, uh, were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him, talking about Jesus, to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof, and they led him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst of before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been laying on, and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Church, I pray that as we see this situation, we can see where we fit into this story. We can see where we fit into this story because as we can see, as we'll see from this, as we're praying about our one, as we're looking at God's mission for me in my life as an individual, as I step into his plan, that we would see some things from this story that I pray that can encourage us, that can lead us. And as we've sung about our faith, God, give me the faith to do what you say. Give me the faith. Help me to surrender it all to you to step and to walk in the path that you have for me. And this morning, we're going to see some things laid out that God is showing us of these men and their faithfulness to see God work. And so the first thing, church, this morning that I want us to see in the way that, that we can start to wrap our minds around how we begin to step into it is that these men had a mission. These men had a mission In this text, verse 18, it says they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. These men had a mission. They had an intentional approach to their work. And so for us, the thing that we have to understand is that mission helps define us. It helps give us direction to reach our goals. 
you know, something that you can come back to when you have this mission in your life. This is my intention. This is what I want to accomplish. And so if I ever veer off of that path, I always have something to come back to and to say, this is what I intend to accomplish. Whether I'm a, a father, a husband, uh, in, in my business, in the work that I do, or as a Christian, that I should have a mission so that I can always be led, guided, and directed by this intention that I have to accomplish. And so we see that Jesus had a, has a mission. In Luke chapter 19, 10, he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is what drove the Son of Man. This is what drove God to do what he needed to do, is this intention to seek and save the lost. And so for us, you know, the question that we have to ask ourselves is what drives us? What pushes us forward in life? You know, what, what motivates the way that we do? What is our mission? What is our mission as individuals? If we had to come back to something, that, that, that line that we desire to walk, that line that we desire to run on, what is it? Is it your family? Is it your, your desire for the American dream, health, wealth, and happiness? Your desire for acceptance? Your desire for comfort? You know, is that your mission in life, is to, fo is to focus in on those things? Even though those things are not necessarily bad, but they aren't the type of mission that brings us the true fulfillment that Christ has for us in our life. Those things in and of themselves are not enough. You know, every organization, every business has a mission statement, something that, that defines what they intend to accomplish. For instance, Waiter, their mission is our impeccable food delivery service brings great meals from top restaurants made to order according to each person's preference. We deliver happiness through food. Amazon says this. It says, our vision is to be, the, uh, to be Earth's most customer-centric company, to build a place where people can come to find and discover anything they might want to buy. That is their mission. That is what they intend to accomplish. Walmart's is my favorite. I just thought it was so simple. It's Walmart's is this, to give ordinary folk the chance to buy the same thing as rich people. <laughs> That's what they intend to accomplish. You know, and so the thing about all of these things, if we settle into all these organizations, uh, what, what their mission statements all will reflect is the same idea that the thing, the, all, the thing all these missions have in, com in common is that they are externally focused seeking to provide something. They are externally focused seeking to provide something to an intended customer base. So for us as Christians, what is that? The thing that we have to understand is that our most important mission as a Christian is provision. Our most important mission as a Christian is provision. And so what are we providing? You know, we see these men. Their mission was to take their friend who was, whether from birth or from some incident, was paralyzed. Or some versions would say palsy would have this issue, this physical issue that in disabled him to the point where he could not do for himself. And like we've talked about before, the culture in this time would have saw this man as, as, as dirty, would have saw him as sinful, would have saw him as cursed. But he had these men, these men that cared for him, that had a mission to bring him to Jesus. They were providing something for this man that they obviously cared about deeply. And so for us as Christians, our mission should be provision. And so what are we providing? We are providing, we are offering people around us an experience and an encounter with God through our willingness to be visible and intentional in the things that we say and the things that we do in our life. That is our mission, to, to, to help people experience and encounter God through our willingness 
to speak certain things into their lives, to do certain things for their lives, that we are intentionally walking in that mission. And so for, for us as individuals, the question we have to ask ourselves is, as a Christian, if we're a Christian here this morning, what is my mission? It, does my mission line up with this desire to bring people into an encounter with Jesus, to bring people into an experience with Christ? Uh, you know, what drives me? What are my spiritual goals? What are my kingdom dreams? What spiritually is my mission? Because the reality is each and every one of us should have spiritual goals. We should want to know more about God than we know today, every day. We should want to influence and impact more people down the road than we do today. You know, we should want to be growing and molding. We do that in every area of our lives, and a lot of times our walk with Christ takes a back burner to this desire to set spiritual goals and to set things that we want to accomplish, when in reality, as a Christian, that is the most important mission we have in our life is to bring people into an experience and encounter with God. Because the thing is, is that it's not just outside of our scope and our reach, but that's our families, that's our kids, that's our husbands, wives, the people around us, our coworkers, those people that we interact with, that if we're walking according to this mission, then we can be those very people. We can be those individuals that help those individuals encounter and experience God on an intentional level if we're walking in this mission, that we are making it eternal investments in our life day after day after day decision after decision Jim Simbal is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church he said this he said I despaired at the thought that I might let my life slip by without God showing himself mightily on my behalf that God would not use me that I despair that he despaired at the thought that God would not just use broken messed up imperfect me and show his glory by allowing me to be intentional and invest and experience uh, this mission with people in my life or the, my church or the, the whatever aspect that we're walking in that I, that he despaired at that thought and that we should too that we should too, and, is it, uh, and it should be a little intimidating for us. It should be, because we're resting in the strength of the Lord to accomplish those things. You know, we think about these men not really understanding what they were going to get into. They just had this general idea that there's this guy that is doing great things, and that if anybody can do it, then Jesus can kind of idea. There may have been some intimidation. There may have been some fear. There may have been some doubt in the midst of that. But church, if your vision for your life and for your family doesn't intimidate you, you are not having a God-centered vision. That our vision and our mission for our families and for ourselves and for our lives and for our local church, it should intimidate us. It should feel like more than I can do. It should feel above me. I should constantly feel a little unqualified to do this because I'm resting in the work of Christ and the work of God in my life to accomplish that thing. Even if it's just discipling our kids or, or, or having a spiritual relationship with our spouse, like that's the, the longevity of that and the quality of that is going to be based out of my experiential uh, joy in Christ and how I'm coming to Him and leaning on Him and following this mission. It should be a little scary for us when we acknowledge our mission and our vision for our lives in Christ as a Christian. So not only did they have mission, but they also, they had not only a mission, but an eager expectation. 
They had an eager expectation. Verse 18, it says, they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Their mission guided them, but their expectation would empower them. Because they knew, they were thinking this maybe, just maybe, Jesus can do something for this man. If anybody can, he can. They had this expectation that God, that, that this Jesus character, that this man that he had power, that he had ability, that he had strength beyond my strength, that he had ability beyond my ability. They had an expectation of what would happen. They took a risk not knowing what may happen, but they had an expectation that drove them to Jesus. You know, and all through the Bible, we see this trend happen. You know, when, when Joshua is kind of giving the reins to the children of Israel and God says, you're the guy, you're the guy that's going to lead them into the promised land, not Moses, it's going to be you. Jo jo uh, Joshua, not knowing what he's getting into, not knowing what's going to lie ahead of him, would just step into that mission and that vision of God laid before him and trust in, the, in God's uh, faithfulness. He had an expectation that God was going to do something, that God would defeat their enemies, that God would clear the way, that God would provide when they were hungry. He had an expectation. Elijah, when he's standing on Mount, Mount Carmel and he's, he's looking at the, the, these worshipers of Baal that are telling them that your God is nothing, that, 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 that our God is the real God, and that they're doing all these dances and they're doing all these things trying to prove their God. And, and Elijah steps into this situation and he says, wet that altar, make it saturated and soaked, and that I will pray that my God will bring fire down and consume this altar. He had an expectation that God is bigger than me, that God is bigger than your God, that God is big, that God can do, that God will do. My favorite story in the, in the book of Daniel of expectation. Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 through 18, they said this, it says, if this be so, this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, says, if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand. But, O king, but if not, be it, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love that, that our God is able, that he is able. He had an expectation and that expectation even getting them to the point where they would say, even if he doesn't provide, my expectation is whatever God chooses for me is right for me. That I have an expectation of who he is. You know, and for us as individuals, church, we live on the other side of Jesus' work on the cross in the empty tomb. How much greater should our expectation be of God's power? For us, Jesus even said it. He said, even greater things than this will you do because I'm going to be with the Father and the Holy Spirit would come down and dwell within His people. That even greater things. That church, we should be walking with an expectation every day. If it's just a, a, a thought in our mind, just an idea, just a doctrine in our head and not a reflection of our heart, we're missing it. We should be, this should be visible from how we live. 
You know, and I, and I fall victim to this in the way that I speak, in the way that I act sometimes, is that I don't speak or act in a way that I believe in a big God, a, a God that is a creator, that God, a God that is a sustainer, a God that is a provider. But that's what he's called us to, is to see, to have that type of expectation. That it's until we have that type of expectation, will we ever truly see God work in that way? Will we ever truly see him reveal that to us and to be able to stand by and to be able to say, and maybe some of you have had those experiences before where you've just approached God with this expectation of God, you're going to do that. And then he's done it. And you've said, praise God, that you would have never gotten to enjoy seeing that come to be if you would have never approached God with the expectation that he was able to do it. God is able God is able to heal broken things. God is able to mend things. God is able to use weak, broken people to do and accomplish amazing things. You know, we look at our own sin. We look at our own struggles and our own difficulties. And then we think, he can't do anything. He can't use me. He can't. You know, we're, maybe you're praying and thinking about your one that you want to see come to faith in Christ, that you want to see plugged into the local church, that you want to see just begin to flourish spiritually. Church, I pray that we could believe as these men, believe and have an expectation that God can do something not only for you, but through you. Whether it's for you, for your family, or for your one that you're thinking about right now that's in your mind. That one that you want to see come to know Christ. The third thing this morning is that they encountered, they encountered an obstacle. They encountered an obstacle. Verse 19, it says, but finding no way to bring him in. They tried to get to Jesus, but as they were trying to get to Jesus, it said they met an obstacle. And that obstacle was the crowd. So the first thing that I want us to see this morning, something we've talked about before, that, there, that these people came to see Jesus and they actually were keeping someone from Jesus. That whenever they were, they were just spectating at the work of Jesus, missing those who were trying to get to Jesus behind them. Church, the thing about it is that when we're merely spectators of the work of Jesus, we become obstacles in front of those who need Jesus. When we are spectators of Jesus, we become obstacles for those who need Jesus. You know, when we become a Christian, when we become a, a, a follower of Jesus, we shouldn't be those that just stand and stare, but we should be those that are looking. You know, we talked about, we talked about that last week. You know, that go and tell mentality. You know, the crowd got in the way. Luke 18, another story in Luke, Luke 18, 35, the story of the blind beggar. He was calling out for Jesus to heal him, and the crowd was telling him to be quiet. Luke 19, Zacchaeus, short, sinful little tax collector, couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd. So he had to do what? Climb up in his sycamore tree and however else the rest of the song goes. So not only was the crowd the obstacle, but the second thing that I want us to see from this situation with this obstacle, as he said, he said that they, that they came, but they found a way. And so for us, you know, I want us to put ourselves in that situation and think about how that looks in our lives. You know, they could have seen it. And I think a lot of times we do this. They could have seen it as a closed door, right? How many times have you asked for God, God, just give me open doors, God, if, if you want me to do this, open that door. If you want me to say this, open that door. If you want to accomplish this, open that door. 
You know, praying a, two, a, two, a lot, a, a, very often we're praying for open doors. And so for them, if we kind of looked at it from the way that maybe we would have approached it, you come up and you see there's Jesus, but there's no way to get to him this way. There's absolutely no way. I mean, the fact that they had to go to the roof tells you that there was no alternate route that was easy. They very easily could have looked at this as a closed door. And how many times in, in our Christian mission in our lives have we maybe said that, that this is just a closed door? Or as we're praying about something that we've been, we've been seeking God for and we come to it and then there's some difficulty or resistance or an obstacle that comes before us, how many times do we say, well, this just is a closed door? You know, because our natural draw is towards the path of least resistance. We want to do what's easiest. We want to do what doesn't uh, put me out. We want to do what's the most comfortable. That's our natural draw. That's the draw of our flesh. But the thing is, sometimes when it's difficult, it doesn't mean it is a closed door, but an opportunity to, know, to overcome an obstacle. Just because we meet something difficult doesn't mean it's a closed door, but an opportunity to overcome an obstacle. I mean, we just can see that from the life of Paul. I mean, the, the obstacles that Paul experienced blow my mind. I would have tapped out a long time ago. And Paul just being a normal guy, a normal guy like you, just with extraordinary faith, but a normal man, what obstacles did Paul experience? Paul was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked and snake bitten very close to each other. I mean, by that point, I was just like, God, seriously, like shipwrecked. And as I'm shipwrecked, I'm snake bitten also. Like, come on, God. Like, this is a joke, right? He was mocked. He was threatened. He was arrested. All these obstacles that, that Paul very easily could have said, okay, obviously this is a closed door. Obviously, God, if you wanted me to get to where I was going, you wouldn't have allowed me to get shipwrecked, right? Obviously, God, if you wanted me to do what you intended for me to do, you wouldn't have allowed me to get arrested, right? Like, obviously, but obviously not. God presented this obstacle before Paul so that he could overcome them, not through his own strength, but through the strength of God so that God would get this glory for this obstacle overcome. And for a lot of us this morning, there are closed doors in front of us that God is not calling us to walk away from. But as these men will do, he's calling us to dig a hole in the roof. Find a way. Find a way. Because we should be pushing beyond our understanding. As we, you know, and specifically, as we're praying for our families, as we're praying for that one, as we're praying for our church and reaching, uh, uh, being on mission for De Quincey, we're going to face many closed doors in front of us. But I believe, and what God is showing us here, is that these are opportunities to overcome. These are opportunities to push beyond our understanding. These are opportunities to go beyond what's laid before us. And, and specifically with your one, if you're thinking about your one right now, and, and I, I hope that that one you've thought of is somebody who is just, man, they desperately need Jesus in their life. And, and, and you want them to see that. You want to see God begin to mend those things. And, and maybe you've met closed door after closed door after closed door with them. I pray you don't give up. I pray you continue to look for places to dig in, places to find a way in, find a place to dig a hole in the roof in that situation. That maybe we need to stop praying for open doors and we need to start praying for eyes to see ways to overcome these obstacles. God, find me a path. 
Find me a way in. And then the last thing this morning, not only had they encountered an obstacle and they, they, they found their way past that obstacle by digging a hole in the roof, it says, but the last thing this morning is that these men got more than they bargained for. They got more than they bargained for. Man, one of my favorite situations that unfolds right here. Starting in verse 20. It says, And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. And I love it says their faith. That this not only includes the faith of the paralyzed man, but the men who assisted this man. And so for us, as we think about that, as we think about this situation, what we have to understand and what we have to see is how massive it is that our faithful participation can bring about God-sized intervention in someone's life. That this man was sin-forgiven and physically healed because of the faithfulness of these men that brought him before Jesus. And so for us, church, that one in your life or your family member or, or, or somebody that you know of uh, in your life that needs Jesus, God's showing us right here that he can use you, your faithfulness, your mission, your intention, your approach. He can, bring, he can use you to bring about an intervention in their life. That your faithfulness can help. That it's not all on you. And you know what? You're going to fail and there's going to be mistakes that you make. And you shouldn't feel the weight of it being all on you because it's not. But also understanding that if we would have the faith to step out. If we would have the faith to step out in certain situations. That God says that he will use our faithful participation to bring about intervention in somebody's life. They had a mission. They didn't quit. They had expectations of what Jesus could do and they pushed through their obstacles. Don't, set, don't settle. He tells us don't settle because God wants to outdo our expectations. You know, we bring expectations and the beautiful thing about God is that God's going to do things the way he wants to do them and most of the times the ways that he does things are beyond our expectations. God, I would have never seen this play out this way. I would have never thought that you would have done with this, what you've done. I mean, maybe you can say that about your life. I know that I can say that about mine. I would have never thought that God would have ever put me in a place like this with you. That, that I would have started a church with my friends and with people that I love and that we care about and just been able to be on mission together and just to see God unfold all these things. I would have never have thought that. God blew my expectations out of the water and he wants to do that with every one of us. If we would approach him first off having the expectation and then expecting what he might do and then allowing God to reveal to us that he will outdo our expectations every time. And so what does he do here? You know, they come for physical healing, but he outdoes their expectations by doing something else. And I love this moment because this very moment right here, this is the gospel. This moment that happens, this is the gospel. Jesus went for his internal sickness that affected his eternal status. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't change his outside first. He went to the inside. He changed the status of his heart before he changed how he walked. 
He changed the style. I need us to hear that. He changed the status of his heart before he changed how he walked. This is what Christ does for us, that we need to stop making external tweaks, but allow God to fix the real problems. You know, uh, with, our, with the people around us, you know, it, I'm telling you right now that this, maybe even this one that you're thinking of, I know the one in my life that I'm praying for and thinking about, the thing that they're going to tell me every time that I try to disciple them or reach out to them or invite them to church is they're going to tell me they're just not at a place right now, that they just need to clean some things up, they need to fix some things before they can come or before they can be involved in a church or do whatever, you know, do what we do. They're going to tell me, he's going to tell me, he's going to say, I, I got to clean some things up first. That's not the situation that happens right here, right? Jesus didn't say, well, here's your walk. Now we'll fix your heart. Now we'll figure things out. No, Jesus starts at his real problem. Jesus starts internally. God, he changes the status of his heart. Instead of tweaking the outside as individuals, as people, we will constantly be reminded of our sinfulness and our failures and that we will spend so much time spinning our tires trying to mold our outside to look right, that we will neglect constantly the real problem that's within our heart. And I love that that's where Jesus goes first. He says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And that is not just an external change, that it's an inner disposition of the heart that is the most important part of what Christ does for us. We don't become Christ followers because he makes me look better. We don't become Christians because he makes everything about me function more properly. He doesn't just put all these pieces together and just make everything done. He does that over time, but that's not how it begins. It begins first by him coming into our life, speaking, opening up our eyes to show us of our sinfulness, our need to be forgiven, and our need for him. Because when Jesus saves the drunk, when he saves the drunk, the drunk is still going to want to drink the next day. You know, when he saves the drug addict, the drug addict is still going to want drugs the next day. When he saves the lustful, they're still going to want to lust the next day. He wants to change the status of our heart so that we stop trying like this man. I, 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 want, I want to believe that maybe he tried to walk. I want to believe that maybe he tried to move about. That maybe he tried to figure out, maybe there's a way I can get from point A to point B and never could. Trying to change the outside before God speaks into our life and changes the inside is about like this poor man on the mat. We can never move off the mat. Jesus starts at the heart and he changes you know what? He, he could have changed the way that he walked first. Sure, his ability to walk, his life would change, but he would still live with the debilitating effects of sin. He would still live with the weight of his shame and the crippling realization of his weakness and his failures. But what does Jesus do first? Jesus takes away his shame. He takes away his guilt. He takes away any, any, anything that he could ever say that separated him from God. Because remember, for this man, he would have been saw as cursed, like his family had sinned, and that he had no place at God's table. And so what does Jesus do to him first before he gives him to the ability to walk physically? He heals him spiritually and punches his ticket for God's table. 
That's the most valuable thing that we can offer people. But not only did Jesus do that, Jesus would heal him physically too. And that's what Jesus does with us through the process of our life. He molds us. He makes us to walk better. And, Jesus, and he says this in verse 24. Jesus tells him these three things. He says, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus gave him the instructions, but the man had to have the faith to stand up. He had fears. He had doubts, I'm sure. But what does it say he did? It says that he stood up. It says that he stood up. How afraid do you think he was to stand in that moment? You know, and for that one in your life, how afraid will they be when they begin to maybe walk into church? Maybe the first time they walk into a Bible study, the first time they come to a worship service. Hey, they may be afraid. They may be afraid. But I believe that those men that stood with him offered a sense of encouragement too. He said, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And I love that he tells him here. You know, I, I, I wonder why, I, I want to I look into this situation more than I, I probably should, but, you know, Jesus tells him, pick up your bed. You know, pick up your bed. Why, why would he need it? Why would he need it anymore? This thing that he depended on, this thing that carried him around, this thing that was his comfort, this thing that, was, uh, that controlled him, basically, Jesus told him here, he said, rise and pick that up. And just for me, man, that is just so encouraging for me because what I truly believe Jesus is telling him here is he's telling him, this thing isn't controlling you anymore. You're controlling this thing now. That, that you're not resting on this, that you're not dependent on this to move you around, but you are going to carry it that you are going to walk now, that you're going to carry this around, that you're going to decide where you go. Man, that's, that's a work of God right there. That's what he wants to do in our lives. He wants to look into our lives and he wants to say, you know this thing that you've been resting on, this mat that you've been laying on, this thing that you've had that's been comfortable for you, that's been the place that you've called home. He says, I want you to pick that up and I want you to control it. And I want you to go home. I want you to go home. The mats we rest on, our comforts, our weaknesses, our fears, they carry and control us. But Jesus says, pick it up. Pick it up. And so to finish up this morning, I believe there's one question in this text that we have to answer for ourselves to really begin to move forward in mission and vision for our Christian life. And it's this question right here in verse 21. The Pharisees ask this, who is this man? Who is this man? Because until we can answer that question, we'll never truly realize the mission. We'll never have the expectations. Church, as individuals this morning, who is Jesus to you? Who is he? Do you see him as the savior of the universe? Do you see him as the creator God manifested on earth for our good, bearing our sin, bearing our shame, calling us to pick up our mats and walk? I pray that you would not see him as any less than that. That you would allow that vision of who Christ is, who he is, who is this man, that that be the thing at the center of your mission. That he is the center of your mission for yourself, for your family, for your one. That you have an expectation and a faith that he can do what he says he can. 
And that he is your encouragement, that he is your motivation to push through the obstacles that you will face if you haven't already faced them, that you will push through. Because the reality is for everyone who this morning who is a believer, who has put your faith in the saving work of Jesus, we were all that man on the mat. We were the man on the mat. That Jesus looked into our life, God looked into our life, opened our eyes, and he said, get up. He said, your sins are forgiven, first and foremost. Your ticket is punched to the table of God. And the second thing he said is he said, begin to live like it. Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. God has called us to understand that, that he's first off forgiven us, and he has secondly called us to live as if he has forgiven us. And that he has given us the ability to do what he's called us to do. That he would let us, that we would live with a mission, with an expectation, and an endurance. That our challenge this morning, church, is that we would be participating in the mission of the kingdom. You know, last week we reread that Jesus called his disciples to follow him to be fishers of men. And you know, he calls each and every one of us to be that. But how could we ever call ourselves fishers of men if we're never fishing? How could we ever be fishermen if we're not fishing? Whether it's in your family or the one that you're thinking of that you're praying for right now. That hopefully, I pray that in a year, hopefully maybe before that, they're standing in this room or whatever room we're in Worshiping with us, serving alongside us. I pray that that's where we find ourselves. Whether that's with someone in your family or that one that you're praying for. Or maybe that's you this morning. Church, I pray that we would know that we are the man on the mat. That God wants to forgive our sins and he wants to call us to rise and to walk in the way that he's led us. Church, let's bow our heads and we're going to sing this morning. I just want to pray over us as we begin to enter into this space to just pray and to worship God and just I pray walk in that faithfulness. To walk in the faithfulness and live in the faithfulness of God. See Him do a mighty work in our lives. Church, let us pray this morning. Father God, I thank You for Your goodness. God, I thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You. God, that in our brokenness, in our paralysis, spiritually, God, that maybe even physically, God, we're so disabled in, in ourselves to step and to walk and to move in the light and the work that you've set before us, whether it's fear, whether it's comfort, God, whatever that debilitating thing is in our life that is keeping us on the mat. Father God, I pray this morning that we hear your call. First off, that you've forgiven us of our sins. You've relieved us of our shame, relieved us of our guilt. But then also, God, that you've called us to rise and to walk in the mission that you've called us to. Sharing the gospel with the people around us. Helping people to experience and encounter God through our willingness to walk. Through our willingness to engage people. God, overcoming the obstacles. God, that we would stop praying for open doors. God, and just start kicking doors down. Building holes digging holes in roofs 
God, just finding a way to accomplish the task that you put before us. God, each and every one of us has someone. God, we have someone that desperately needs you. God, and that we desperately want to see settled into your family, worshiping alongside your people, enjoying and embracing the life that you offer for us. God, we love you so much. God, we just, we trust you to use us, to work through us. God, use us this morning. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, stand with us this morning.